folks, this is Abel James, and thanks so much for listening to the Fat Burning Man Show, where we talk about real food and real results. Today's episode of the show is a really special one, actually, with one of our listeners. Uh, our guest's name is Cole, and he's going to tell his story about how he went from being a 90-pound, scrawny World of Warcraft champion into a 175-pound uh, fitness model and bodybuilder. He has a really, really inspiring story about how to pay it forward. And there's a lot that you're going to be learning from the show. But I, I hear you. You guys have said uh, we love having best-selling authors and celebrities on the show and, and real experts. But we also love hearing from real people. So in the next few weeks, I'm bringing on a few people just like that. So if if you think that you'd be great for the show, feel free to send us a note and uh, or tweet me or write me on Facebook, whatever. And I'll see if I can have you on. Obviously, I have very few spots for this sort of thing, but I love to hear from you guys. A few announcements before we get to the show. Uh, I just got back from being in San Francisco out filming with Dr. Sarah Godfrey, a past guest of the show, as well as uh, Dr. Pedram Shojai, who is also a past guest of the show. We've been filming for a new documentary as well as a new web series that it's basically like a sofa series where we sit around and talk about how we can change the world, not just with eating real food, but also about changing our environment a bit too. We sat down with Ken from the Environmental Working Group. Uh, so really cool conversation. Stay tuned for that. I'll let you know when we release all those episodes out to you. Now, you may have remembered that in the past week or two, I've been asking you guys what you love about the show so I can keep bringing that to you as well as where I could improve. Uh, and it's been nuts. Like my, my inbox has just exploded. There have been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of really powerful emails from all you guys. And, and I thank you so much for sharing your feedback about the show. Um, there's been some really, most of it has been extraordinarily positive, which I really appreciate. And some of it has been some really, really constructive criticism. So I appreciate that too. Um, on the whole, uh, let me just say before I get to it, um, if you haven't heard back from me yet, just know that I, I literally have not gotten through all of them yet because there are so many, but I'll get back to you as soon as I can. For those uh, who I've already gotten back to, I apologize if it's a short little note, but really there are so many and I, I, I promise I'm reading them all and I hear you. But generally what I'm hearing is you guys, um, let's, let's start with the criticisms. You appreciate that we don't have advertisements or sponsors or anything like that. I want to be really clear though that I'm not trying to put down any shows that do have sponsors and advertisements and what have you. I'm just saying that's a choice that that we're deciding to make so that there's no chance of anyone clouding our message and uh, and also I just want to make it as enjoyable of an experience as possible for you. I, no one really loves hearing commercials. And so if there's any way that we can stay away from that, I'm going to do that as, as long as we possibly can. So for now, the show is entirely uh, listener supported. So I really appreciate all of the uh, donations that have come in as well. It's, it's crazy. Some of you have donated more than hundreds of dollars. And, and I know you're anonymous. I'm not going to mention who it is, but I really do appreciate it. So that was that was one piece of the message that you guys appreciate that. Uh, this is advertising and sponsorship free, and I intend to keep it that way. Uh, also, you appreciate that there's a positive message in in what we're saying and the way that I interact with guests. Um, the non-confrontational approach comes very naturally to me. I think there's a lot that uh, even if you know someone is a vegan and, and I'm more paleo or Weston A. Price or just eating like our grandmothers used to eat, we should be embracing the similarities instead of fighting over the little differences and whether or not it's going to kill you if you eat a bean or not. And so uh, I, I'm going to keep that up, uh, make sure that we're keeping the message positive. Now, some of you have also said it would be great if I could call people on their BS a little bit more. I hear you and I will. There have been a few uh, shows in, in the recent past where I haven't been quite as as hard on some of the guests and questioned them quite as deeply about some more controversial topics as I probably could have. So I just want you to know I'm learning as I do this. I want to keep the message positive and that's always going to be the way that I lean. But at the same time, I'm not going to let people get away with saying things that, you know, really aren't supported by science or are risky decisions or things that won't help you. So um, I'm going to keep that in mind as well. And feel free if, if you hear that there's someone on the show and I'm not really calling them on that, 
then let me know about it. I, I hear you. I, I want to um, continue to keep this as a conversation. You've also said that uh, the show is is very relatable yet smart at the same time. I'm not pounding you with hundred thousand dollar words. I'm not using super sciency rabbit hole type language, um, which makes it so that people who are just dipping their toes into this show, into this lifestyle of eating real food, losing weight effort, effortlessly, and all of that, it's it's not. Um, it's not an exercise of walking around <laughs> with your iPod and a dictionary trying to figure out what the heck is going on. I'm trying to, you know, dial it in, make sure that you guys can understand what's going on, whether you're a scientist or not. So I hear you. I appreciate that. And then this actually just came into my inbox today. The, the final message a lot of you have said, not only, you know, have I gone from 300 pounds down to 150 pounds since I started listening to your show, which is amazing. I've gotten a lot of emails like those or people who've lost 20 pounds in a month, whatever. That stuff isn't nearly as exciting to me, as impressive as it is, as the people who say next, after they lost 20 pounds in, in 30 days, that they are empowered and they're starting to change their lives. Those are my favorite stories to hear, you know, because it's not, it's not about losing weight uh, or building muscle or anything like that. It's about building self-confidence. It's about feeling empowered to live the life that you've always dreamed of. That's what this is all about. And I think that I'm, I'm actually going to read a note that I just got from one of our listeners, which is just amazing. So I think it's really, it illustrates what I'm talking about here about being inspirational and, and empowered. Hi, I just want to give you a big thank you for doing a podcast with Lewis, which is the one from last week. I realized that I do not want to be getting by in life, but live my life. Right now, I'm a stay-at-home mom of three kids living in Israel in the occupied territories. When Israel is on the news, it's because of the land I live on. On my way home, passing through a Palestinian village, I decided that it's time for peace. I decided that I have to make an event in my community where Palestinian kids are going to come and meet the Jewish kids so that the next generation will be educated not to blow themselves up, but to live life. But of course, when I mention this to someone, they think I'm crazy and no chance such a thing can happen. Listening to this podcast made me realize that I'm not and that it is possible. And I know that I will not heal the whole world, but I want to at least start from somewhere. Thank you for introducing Lewis to me. I listen to your podcast because I'm interested in wellness and I want to lose some weight, but you really surprised me with this one. Keep up the good work. Love your podcast. Love and peace from the Holy Land, Malvina. Thank you so much for writing in. This is exactly what I'm talking about. This is the reason that I do the show. It's, it's uh, of course, you can lose weight, build muscle, live better, eat better, all of that, but it's really about something a little bit bigger. So I'm so glad that so many of you have, uh, have taken the time to share that that story with me of being inspired, of changing your life, because that's what this is really all about. Um, now, I also want to thank you. Some of you have donated hundreds of dollars, uh, which is just incredible. I always want to keep this show listener supported. You guys are really stepping up and making that happen. If you haven't had a chance to, you can go ahead and go to fatburningman.com forward slash donate and, uh, and feel free to support the show. You can sign up for $9 a month as a member of the fat burning tribe and basically support the show, um, on an ongoing basis. And I'm going to be giving away some goodies for, for those of you who have already done that. So thank you so much. All right. Enough of this, this <laughs> banter soliloquy. Let's get into the show with Cole. It's, it's a really good one. I think you're going to like it. So Cole, he has a really inspiring story. He has a guest post that we just put up on the blog, already getting some great uh, responses about that. But he really goes over his story on this show as well. We talk about why grinding in the world of Warcraft makes gaining 80 pounds of pure muscle easy, how the world treats you as a 90-pound weakling, what celiac disease actually feels like, and why one bodybuilder paying it forward to a scrawny teenager changed the world. All right, let's go hang out with Cole. All right, folks, today we're here with Nicholas Cole. He's a nonfiction writer, fitness model, and actually a listener to the Fat Burning Man Show, and that's how we got hooked up in the first place. Cole, as he's called, spent the first 18 years of his life undiagnosed with celiac disease and just happens to have a history as one of the highest-ranked World of Warcraft video game players in North America. That's awesome. How's it going, Cole? 
I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So I, I have to start with the obvious thing that sticks out there, which is being a World of Warcraft champion. Is that something that you're still rocking the house doing, or is that kind of behind you at this point? No, that's it's long behind me. Uh, it would, another lifetime, huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll always be a gamer at heart, but I stopped playing when I was uh, 18, right when I started college. Okay. And then uh, I relapsed a couple times, you know, playing, <laughs> playing here and there. But um, no, it's it's definitely something that carried me through high school, and then uh, I replaced it with other things. One of which was bodybuilding. Yeah, right on, man. So why don't we? Um, people probably haven't heard from you before. So why don't like I hate this question because I get it all the time and puts okay. people straight into autopilot. But for the sake of introducing yourself. Uh, as a listener of the show, two other listeners of the show, tell us your story. How, how did you get here? How did you get into bodybuilding from World of Warcraft? And I know that you've had kind of a rocky journey along the way. So let's go with that. Tell us about okay. it. All right. So uh, between the ages of 14 and 18 is really when the peak of my celiac disease was triggered. Yeah. Um, I didn't know I was allergic to gluten. A lot of people don't really know what that is, but that's bread. So that's in everything. Even things like salad dressings, like people don't realize that it really is everywhere, especially in America. And so because I was sick pretty much every day, I very much coped through uh, playing video games because there wasn't a whole lot else to do. I was constantly home from sick, uh, home from school sick. Mm -hmm. I actually got a letter home. I think it was my uh, sophomore, junior year saying that I had missed so many days of school that if I missed another two weeks, I would need to repeat the grade. Really? So, yeah. So, um and some of it was, you know, well, most of it was from the sickness and then some of it was from the fact that because I'm a competitive person and this game became very important to me, then I would intentionally want to skip school as well so that I could continue <laughs> practicing the game. Right. And that's why I, I achieved South what I achieved. Right, right. Uh, yeah, unfortunately. And um, so I really just kept at it and continued playing because there was nothing else to do. And then when I turned 18, I found out that I had celiac disease mm -hmm. and that diagnosis spurred, I was forced to learn a lot about food very quickly. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that I could really figure out was that all I could eat was chicken and rice and vegetables. <laughs> um, my diet was very, it was very strict. And, the bodybuilding diet right there. Yeah. And I didn't, <laughs> I had, yeah. And I didn't, I didn't know that it was a bodybuilder's diet. Yeah. So simultaneously at the same time, I had fractured my spine when I was, uh, about 15, 14 or 15, playing wow. hockey. Um, and I think that that was because of my lack of nutrition. My bones were probably so fragile because it wasn't, it wasn't anything cool, you know? I wasn't like speeding down the ice, breakaway goal, um, two seconds left in the game, and then I get hit and crack, crack my back. I just I fell weird during practice, and I mm. fractured my spine. Yeah. And my back problems persisted until I was 18. So at the same time that I found out I had celiac disease, I found out, through my dad, who's a doctor, that uh, I also have what's called ankylosing spondylitis, which is a rare joint disease that makes your joints like cramp in on themselves. And so if you aren't physically active, then it feels like you have muscle cramps like nonstop, basically. Mm -hmm. So he basically said, you know, you either need to have surgery, which is something that you would never suggest to an 18 year old kid. That's something that most people go through when they're like, you know, late twenties, early thirties mm -hmm. and have like a disc replacement or something. And so for me, he said, I really just suggest you start working out. And so taking that and pairing it with this diet that now I had to be on is it, it kind of was like the perfect recipe for bodybuilding. Yeah. And it didn't, I didn't even really mean for that to happen. I just kind of fell into it. And so I started learning about it, started learning about lifting weights. And the more that I researched, the more that I found out that this is what all the all the big people do, you know. Mm -hmm. They all eat chicken and rice all day, and to them, yeah. it's no thing. So, it was my way of really coping with that thought because it's hard being 18 and you're about to go off to college, and everyone's like, "Let's order pizzas, let's drink beer, let's do all these things that are obviously wheat based," mm -hmm. and I can't participate in any of that. So, it's not only a food thing, but now it's now it's a social thing. Yeah. So now it's even more difficult to make friends. Now it's more difficult to fit in. And so I had to find where I fit in now in the world, basically. And yeah. 
I really found that in the gym. The gym is like that one place where almost everyone's on a diet and almost everyone is, you know, preferring being at the gym than being at a party. And I mean like the hardcore people, you know what I mean? And so that really became my community. And once I found that, I went full force in it. I, I, I joke to people saying I graduated with a creative writing degree, but I minored in bodybuilding because I was there four hours a day, every day doing my meal prep hours a day and lifting with guys that were 150 pounds bigger than me. And jeez, you know what I mean? Like it just, it it nurtured me in a way that kind of the same way that world of Warcraft did. Mm -hmm. It gave me, it gave me an outlet that I needed at that time in my life. That's so cool. And, and you didn't, you know, start off being kind of like normal and then putting on a bunch of muscle and looking like a bodybuilder. It was an uphill battle for you. You started at, at 90 pounds. Is that right? I started, well, let's see, I was playing hockey at 14 and I was probably barely 90 pounds. Yeah. By the time I was 17 or 18, I think I was 110 pounds. And like at 17, 110 pounds, I just passed a hundred. That's all I cared about. You know, like I was like, Oh, I'm huge now. Right. And I really wasn't even close, you know. And then uh, 18 is really when I started lifting weights. So I would say I probably started at 115 pounds. Mm-hmm. And then now I'm 23 and 170. So wow. that's nuts. Yeah. Seriously, that's that's nuts. Putting on yeah. 70 pounds of muscle. And you're ripped. Like, I mean, uh, if people go to the blog post, they'll be able to see your before and after pictures, but it's yeah. absurd. It's it's usually the other way around, right? Like people start it at is. 250 and then they go down to 170, but you start at 90 and then you go to 170. And it's yeah. really quite revealing. We'll, we'll talk about what it's like to be a hard gainer um, in a little bit and, and what people can do to put on muscle like you did. But I'd love for you to describe, just because there haven't been that many people who have been on the show who actually have celiac disease, just lots of people who are gluten-free. What is it like before you're diagnosed what do you feel like when you eat wheat? What happens? Honestly, it is it is a mix between feeling like uh, you've suddenly come down with 24-hour stomach flu mm-hmm. and at the same time, that like emotional feeling of your significant other breaking up with you <laughs> because it's such like it's it affected my mood so much and because I got so used to being uh, afraid of eating food basically mm-hmm. is that as soon as I would feel that feeling, it wasn't just a physical feeling of being sick. It was that mental and emotional feeling of I will never be normal. I mean, before yeah. I, before I was 18, I, I accepted the fact that the best that I could hope for in life was a job that would let me work from the bathroom. Wow. I mean, that was, that was my mental state. And like, I didn't understand the concept of really, like really having a group of friends that like went out and got pizza all the time. Like there's a re like there really is a reason why I became, uh, and why I took world of Warcraft so seriously, because mm-hmm. when you're a competitive person and you, and you need that outlet, it was the only thing that I had really, you yeah. know? And so that's why for people, when, when I go to a restaurant and they're like, Oh, I mean, Oh, so you're just gluten free. Like you just, you know, if it's a little bit of wheat, like it's okay. And I have to make it so clear. It's like, it, it can't be a little bit mm-hmm. that I don't, I don't even eat out a lot, which is why I cook almost everything that I eat because mm-hmm. it's emotional as much as it is physical. Yeah. So now that it's, it's, it's really starting to catch on, right? This whole gluten-free thing. And a lot of people yeah. are accepting that wheat and gluten aren't necessarily that good for you, even if you don't have the disease that you have. But, um, do you think that there is a large population of people who are mildly intolerant or most people are intolerant? I would love to hear your opinion. Is is wheat unequivocally bad or is it something that has become bad because of, you know, what's described in, in wheat belly in, in prior shows and that sort of thing? I mean, that's one thing about nutrition and even going further with workouts and supplements and everything is like, there truly is no one right answer. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. even if you go into the gym and someone's like, what are you lifting for back today? My favorite back exercise is going to be different than the next guy's. And for me, like if I didn't have celiac disease, I could eat junk food all day mm-hmm. and I would get even bigger. Whereas other people, they, they have to watch their calorie intake like crazy. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So everybody's body is different. Absolutely. I, I really don't 
Um, I don't think that I have the knowledge to be able to say like scientifically whether or not gluten is bad. I just know that uh, for me it is. And I know that for a lot of people it is. And I'm sure that there's varying degrees, you know, like I can kind of tolerate milk products, but I choose not to. Mm -hmm. So I've eliminated those from my diet as well. Um, But that doesn't mean that I have like full blown lactose intolerant. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm sure that there are other people too. The issue that I have with it is just when people treat it like a fashion statement, you know, they're just like, oh, well, I'm gluten free this week. And then it kind of like, it makes it difficult for those of us that actually have to deal with it. Like Mm -hmm. why, why don't they put gluten on all of the food products like they do nuts because a nut allergy is like socially acceptable in a way. Do you know what I mean? No, totally. But a gluten allergy is people are just kind of like, oh, well, you'll, you'll be sick for a little bit, but you'll get over it. Right. Yeah. Like it's not like you'll die and it's like, well, I didn't want to ruin my day, you know? That's that's a good point. Yeah. But it is, it is the people, people wear gluten free like a fashion they treat it like that it's it's just one of those kind of well my face is a little puffy we'll go gluten-free this week type things right. which which has made um restaurants and food manufacturers really approach the the whole thing in a really nonchalant way which is problematic for people like you right who, yeah. who this is a serious medical issue uh, i remember my my drummer in college <laughs> he was uh he had celiac disease and we just ribbed him so hard whenever we were drinking beer and we're just like, yeah. Oh, this must be so hard that you can't have any beer. Just like making fun of the fact that he can't eat bread, but it's like, it's a, it's a very serious thing. Yeah. Uh, and even a little bit can not only double you over, but like you said, completely ruin your day. And, and even like a few days, just a, this minute yeah. amount of this substance. Yeah, it is. Um, it is no fun having to defend yourself everywhere you go. Yeah. Especially like, you know, I'm a, 23 year old kid if I go out anywhere especially if I go someplace where alcohol is being served I have to spend the whole night defending myself why don't you drink why don't you want this why don't you want that and Mm -hmm. even if I say like oh well that's all made from gluten like I'm not really about that then people go further and then they're like well this one is made from potatoes instead of gluten so you can drink this right and it's they don't even understand that my stomach has been abused for 18 years alcohol is like a really it's a really strong substance like mm-hmm. even if i drink something that's potato based and not wheat based it's still a strong substance and because i didn't have an answer for this for so long i can't even really tolerate that mm-hmm. you know what i mean so and then on top of that it's like i take bodybuilding seriously why would i want to go out and get drunk so it's like there's all these different parts and it's like I have to defend myself everywhere I go and mm-hmm. people, whether you're talking about alcohol or whether you're talking about your diet, gluten-free, lactose-free, you know, allergic to nuts, whatever. It's like, if it's not what other people do, they have a problem with it. And so they challenge you for it. And mm-hmm. that's what makes it difficult for a lot of people to make changes in their life because it's not just about the food then it's about social culture. It's like, if I'm gluten-free now, well, who's going to, who's going to make it difficult for me? Yeah you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Now let's, let's talk a little bit about what it's like to be that, that little guy huh. in terms of perception, the way that other people treat you compared to being a bodybuilder or even a fitness model. Now that shift, we've talked about that a few times on the show, whether it's going from, you know, being 350 pounds down to 200 pounds, or if it's you know, bulking up and becoming that, that ideal image in air quotes <laughs> that, yeah. that some people seek. What is it like? How does the world treat you differently? I think it, I've really been trying to figure this out myself because in, in many ways I'm still going through it and I'm yeah. seeing the other side of the spectrum. But I feel like what it really comes down to is the fact that the body is a physical representation of achievement and especially in America, we gravitate strongly to achievement. Mm. And so when you are the little guy, you look like it would be impossible for you to achieve anything. And so people disregard you. They don't take the time to understand you. When I was, I mean, I work really hard at bodybuilding, but I can, I can honestly say that the most exhausting time in my life was when I was trying to be the best World of Warcraft player 
ever. Really? I mean, yeah. I mean, those, there was a time when for four months straight, I was going to bed at four in the morning and waking up at seven for school and going through eight hours of school on three hours of sleep and sneaking around my house because my parents wanted me to be studying instead of playing on the computer. And I exhausted myself. I mean, that was the most exhausting four months of my entire life. And in comparison, bodybuilding is just, it's just more regimented. It's, it's, it's more of like structured discipline, mm-hmm. but the, the work ethic, I mean, they're really not that far off. And for some reason, people really respect the work ethic that comes with bodybuilding. They really respect it when it comes to like things that are tangible forms of achievement. But mm-hmm. if you say, oh, I achieved something mental, you know, whether it's I became the best chess player in the world or I became like, you know, a world renowned pianist, like it depends on who you're talking to and who's going to approve of that. Sure. And as, and as that little kid, a lot of people didn't want to take the time to learn. And so, you know, I, I mean, I didn't go to school dances. Like I couldn't, I couldn't get a girlfriend. I couldn't get girls to talk to me. I couldn't, I had trouble even relating to the athletes in my school, even though I was an athlete too, but it was the fact that I didn't look anything like it. Hmm. All these other kids are 15, 16, 17, you know, now they're starting to get biceps and now they're like, you know, looking strong. And here I am looking like I haven't eaten in three months, you know? And so a lot of people just assume they, they see what you look like and they assume something about you and they put you in a box and nobody understood that I was a very competitive kid with, potential I guess and then now you go to the flip side and it's it only takes one person it only takes one person I was in the gym two years ago I had just gotten my membership right when I transferred colleges to uh three years ago right when I transferred colleges to uh Chicago and about two three weeks after I got my gym membership I was in front of the mirrors doing uh hammer curls and this like like the biggest dude in the gym, like the biggest dude came up to me and all he said, all he said was nice form, man. And he just like, he acknowledged my presence. And I, yeah. I was still like a hundred and probably 145 pounds. I mean, I wasn't even big. Right. And I, but I was like trying my heart out and he just came up and acknowledged me. And, and I appreciated that so much that then I wanted to ask him all these questions. So I, of course, for the rest of the workout, like would walk over to where he was and be like, you know, well, how do you, how do you get these muscles in your back? Or like, what are these ones called? Or, you know, just ask him all these questions. And he saw how hungry I was. And so he ended up telling me later on that he really saw that same part in him when he was first starting out and he related to that. And he invited me to come lift with him the second day. And three years later, we're still awesome friends. We lift together almost every week. And that dude taught me everything. And that's, that's all it takes is one person to say, like, I see you for who you are, but I also see you for, see you for who you could be. Yeah. And, and now you want to talk about the other side of the spectrum. I go anywhere. People treat me like, like I should be the center of attention simply because of the size of my arms or, you know, like how big my chest is or how, how much, like how much you can see of my abs but nothing changed. I'm still, I'm still that, that nerdy kid, just hungry to learn. And for some reason, the body makes people care. Hmm. Now, that's not always a good thing. You're getting me all choked up with the story about the guy helping you at the gym. That's, uh, that's so cool because it's an example of what happens in life when the right thing happens, right? Yeah. But, but let's talk some more about not everything's great, right, when you're completely objectified. Um, no, and, and especially when you go from the opposite of that being ignored to being objectified in the center of attention because of something that like I, I would assume and I'm probably putting words in your mouth, but you're not doing it to have the biggest biceps or the biggest chest or to be the center of attention. You're doing it because it's something that you like to do. You believe in the process, not necessarily in the result as much that's what i found in most people who are doing bodybuilding athletes that sort of thing they they enjoy the journey so what does that feel like emotionally when you go from being ignored to being the center of attention it's not always good oh it's it's not always good but it also is whatever you choose to make it Mm -hmm. um there's a lot of people that 
I mean, I even went through this too, you know, as soon as you start to put on a little size, you know, like you start to carry yourself a little differently and your mm-hmm. confidence goes up and um, you you kind of can't help but be attracted to the fact that now people are paying attention to you. But at some point, and it depends on how aware you choose to be, but at some point you kind of have to make the decision for yourself. Do I pick the road where I become, like this becomes me like this gives me meaning and mm. purpose or do i choose to do something with it for me yeah. i have learned that now people pay attention to what i say when i was 90 pounds and i was saying the same things no one listened but now like 170 pounds now and if i have an opinion or if i want to share something people listen well, and so you could throttle them right <laughs> well <laughs> That's the that's the joke, man. I always I always say the worst I could do is write you a mean poem. Like I, I just that's not even me, you know. Right. And and so I really feel like this is you're right. For me, it is all about the process, and it is all about practice. It very much is my daily meditation. It's my way of practicing being confronted with a challenge and overcoming it. It's as much of an emotional journey as it is a physical mm-hmm. and a mental. But it also now has really come to my attention that I can do for someone else what my friend had done for me. Yeah, I can go to the next kid and say, I know what that feeling feels like. You're 90 pounds and no one's paying attention to you. No one cares like what you think of the world. But you put on 90 pounds of muscle and suddenly everybody is like, oh, well, what does he have to say? And so if you, if you pair those two together and, and, you, and you use that to your advantage, then you can really give yourself a platform to then once again help the next kid, you know, give the next kid, like, why is it uncool for one kid to play chess, but it's cool for another kid to play football? Yeah. They're both strategy. Why does one count and the other one doesn't? You know, why, why does it make me a nerd for playing World of Warcraft, but like, the kid who goes and starts a business at 18, oh, well, he's an entrepreneur. He's brilliant. They're both strategy. They're both mental. Mm-hmm. They're both games. Yeah. So it really is about going to that next kid who's, like af- who's afraid of putting himself out there, afraid of pursuing what he wants to do and saying, if no one else believes in you, I believe in you because I've been there. And yeah. so if I can do it, then you can do it. And that's what my friend did for me. And that's what I hopefully want to do for the next kid because I would not be where I am right now if that person hadn't done that for me. And I think that that's really important. That's awesome. And I I can relate as well. I, um, I joke that I learned management consulting, which is my job and strategy from playing Starcraft growing up. Cause it's just like managing go. all these different systems and building something as quickly as you can. It, it really, I mean, it applies to business. It does yeah. building a business, building a website, building a following, building a, a podcast, all these things. And it takes that drive. It's so interesting. Um, the video game world, my girlfriend, Allison, that's where she comes from. She worked for Bioware, launched the new star oh, Wars really? game. And she was a professional gamer on a reality TV show about it even. And oh, that world, awesome. um, is, is full of brilliant people who are working really, really hard building these systems and being really innovative with the way that they're, mm-hmm. they're playing these games such that when you, when you focus that energy and that talent in a different domain, all of a sudden you can put on 80 pounds of muscle or <laughs> you, can, yeah. you can start a thriving business out of nowhere. Uh, it, it's really fascinating. Um, but what you describe in terms of the uh, societal approval or disapproval of these various things, which may take the same amount of energy, like bodybuilding compared to playing World of Warcraft. It's just fascinating to acknowledge uh, that one of those things is looked down upon and the other one is kind of looked up upon, so to speak. You know, it's like people respect bodybuilders in a way. On that note, which is fun fact of the day. So in the fitness community, there's two really big names. The first one being Ziz. I'm sure you've heard of Mm -hmm. uh, is like the fitness model type of type of kid. He quit World of Warcraft to start bodybuilding. Really? Um, yeah, I read that online. And then uh, another name, uh, Jeff Side, who's currently well, he just became, I believe, the youngest male IFBB pro. 
And he too, yeah, I read in an interview saying, I quit World of Warcraft and started bodybuilding. <laughs> and so, and you can even get like philosophical with it being, being like, well, you know, fantasy games, you want to be a hero and mm-hmm. then you start bodybuilding and now you have all this armor on and, and in many ways that is true, but I feel like what it really comes down to is the fact that those games instill in you, when you take them seriously, mm-hmm. those games instill in you a work ethic that not many other things can. <laughs> and when, when people like, it's like a great story, but I hate mentioning it just because school, but so I graduated college with almost a near perfect GPA. Yeah. Um, and this is coming from the kid who could barely get a C average in high school. And the reason is, is because studying for two or three hours absolutely pales in comparison to 15, 20 hour long, yeah, grinding sessions, you know, and, and me and my friends still joke. I mean, those, those hours when your eyes are like falling out of their sockets and (laughs) all you want to do is go to sleep and you're like, you can taste old Red Bull in your mouth and it's for some reason you keep going and it's because you have a goal. And so when you flip that to something else and a teacher's like, oh, you're really going to have to study for like a couple hours tonight. It's, it's a, it's, it's a joke. It's a joke when you really, really understand it. And that's why I have a problem with people that are like, well, that outlet's okay, but this one's not because who are you to say that you're not going to end up learning something that's of great importance? No one, no one would have thought that my playing that video game would have taught me all, like given me a foundation to graduate with honors and to put on all this muscle and to end up getting a job to where my knowledge of the internet helps me significantly. Mm -hmm. So whether we're talking about bodybuilding or whether we're talking about anything else, it's really just about giving other people that freedom to explore what it is that is important to them, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And one of the coolest things too, that I think a lot of people don't understand, I think a lot of people who are listening to the show probably get it, but, um, in, in the general community, they assume that people who are in the gym pumping iron are meatheads and, uh-huh. and and morons and not intelligent and just that's all they do. They just lift weights and they kind of whenever you lift weights in whatever way, you just right. put on loads of muscle. It's not like that at all in, in my experience. A lot of the, the bodybuilders who I know are some of the most technical, scientific, regimented, intelligent people I know. Uh, and, and the dedication that it takes to to really succeed in, in bodybuilding and fitness modeling and that sort of thing uh, right. is is impressive. And it's it's almost as far as you can get from being a meathead in most cases. Yeah. Well, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's there's most definitely the people in there that mm-hmm. you know, and they're still my friends. And I walk in and I'm like, "What's going on today?" And like, they can't even respond with anything, but. Oh, I'm doing legs, you know, and then they immediately go into their routine. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do four sets of extensions. I'm gonna do four sets of squats, and, yeah. and I'm just like, so how are you doing, man? You know, <laughs> like there's, there's of course people like that, but there's also people like that in in every industry. You know, you could you could walk yeah. into the dentist's office and be like, how are you doing? And he's like, oh, just you know, filling another cavity today. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, um, but in terms of not all people being meatheads, I mean, I have plenty of really funny stories from that. I mean, if you want to just take me, for example, I would go to the gym with a notepad mm-hmm. and in between sets, I would come up with ideas for things that I wanted to write about. And so I would like pump out a set real quick and then like run into my, run into my backpack, pull out my notepad and write down something funny that had happened in the gym and be like, Oh, I'm going to put that in a book one day. Yeah. And, and I would walk around and people would ask, what are you studying in school? Assuming it was like nutrition or something. And I would say, I want to write books. And so many people would just stare at me like, <laughs> like, why, like, almost like, why are you here then? Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. And one of the guys that I lifted with who was another huge uh, bodybuilder at my gym, he taught me all about uh, food and meal prep and um, kind of the other side. It's like what happens outside of the gym mm-hmm. to really make things happen. Um, and with him, we lifted almost every day too for, for like eight months. And every single day we would lift for two hours and the entire time during the lift, he would talk me through how I was going to write this book that I've been working on for two years. 
So, and, and on the outside, people see us, I mean, he's like this massive, like 250 pound bodybuilder and people have no idea that after he's done, you know, like dapping them up and being like, what's up, man? He's turning back to me being like, but how cool would the plot development be <laughs> if you wrote it in first person, one chapter and then third person, the next, like it's the farthest thing from being a meathead, mm-hmm. you know? Just, yeah, you can't judge by you can't judge a book by its cover, man. Yeah, you can. And it's so interesting because you went from one one domain to another, and each are, I'd say, equally caricatured. But the caricatures yeah. don't really reflect what it's all about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So interesting. So let's let's talk rubber meets the road because I'm sure a lot of people are wondering how the heck do you put on that amount of muscle, especially as a hard gainer. And for those of you who don't know what a hard gainer is, it's basically the opposite of what most Americans are doing right now, which is just loading on fat and muscle sometimes just right. as easily as, uh, as drinking water or something. You know, it's like, right. it just goes on and that's typical, but you also have these, uh, usually people with smaller frames start out being a little bit skinnier mm-hmm. and it seems to be impossible to put muscle on. So how do you take one of those frames and then put 70, 80 pounds of muscle on? Honestly, you, you hammer away at it until it happens. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is such a long process that I can't even sit here and be like, just give it your all and you'll mm-hmm. see it because, I mean, you're, you're signing yourself up for years and years. The positive is that when you do start with a small frame, when you are an ectomorph, when you have such low body fat already, mm-hmm is that you see it's like the tiniest it's like the tiniest little result will show mm-hmm. so for me starting at you know barely 110 pounds as soon as i got that that tiny little cut of a bicep i was hooked yeah. i was like i see it and i'm i'm going to go after it for as long as it takes and it took it, it took me a really long time i would say the biggest you know if i'm if I'm going to share like a real, a real tip here is the biggest thing that I can say is you're going to have to eat so much food that you have to space it out. When I first started, I didn't understand this concept. So Mm -hmm. I did the calculations, right? So a pound of body fat per uh, gram of protein and two grams of carbs per pound of body fat. And like you, you draw it all out and you're like, okay, well, so I need to eat 140 grams of protein and 300 grams of carbs a day to grow. But in my brain, I knew that there was breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There was no, there was no such like no one had introduced me to the concept of eating more than three meals in a day. Mm-hmm. So I would take that massive number and I would divide it by three, and suddenly I'd be staring at a plate bigger than my head for each meal, and 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 it, and I had to eat it all if I yeah. wanted to grow. So when I first started, I mean, I was literally making plates of food so big that I that that could have been a eaten in an entire day mm-hmm. you know so I would sit there for sometimes two sometimes three hours and force feed myself wow until that entire plate was gone and I would be so full and like if you really want the truth of it I mean there were times where I would eat so much that I would throw up wow there were times that I would eat get too full like have to go empty my stomach and then come back and finish it do you know what I mean like mm-hmm. And no one introduced this concept to me of smaller meals throughout the day. And once I got that, that's really where I started to see the changes happen because instead of having three meals a day, I had six. Yeah. And so everything got way smaller. And what it does is it changes your metabolism in a different way. So you're eating smaller meals, but you're looking forward to your next one almost as soon as you're done eating it because it wasn't really that much food. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. Mm-hmm it's way more manageable and then it also works with keeping your body constantly out of a catabolic state. Mm-hmm. So you're able to actually put on, you're, at, you're able to put on muscle instead of just eating a ton of food and then being too full to eat your next meal and then you're like, oh, well, I can't eat it at all so I'm going to go to bed and then you miss out on that meal and then it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. It's so funny because it's, to many people, I'm sure it's the opposite of what they deal with, right? Which is just the oh, yeah. constant feeling like you're eating too much, or you're going to put on fat. And that's why I think there's, there's so much confusion out there. That's one of the reasons anyway, is that we have different, you and I have different body types, right? I'm right. more of a mesomorph and you're more of right. an 
ectomorph and then endomorphs have something completely different that's going on. Uh, yeah. But for me, I've experimented with, you know, eating one large meal a day or eating eight tiny meals mm -hmm. a day. And, and it's amazing to see the differences both in your hormones, the way you look, the ease oh, yeah. at which you, you put on muscle. But what I think I, I'm hearing you saying is that <laughs> if you're a hard gainer, it's not about necessarily just exercising tons. Like you've been talking about food. It's about eating, having, having oh. a real ironclad eating strategy. Yeah. Good luck trying to put on size if you're not eating. And I say this with like as much sincerity as possible. If you are not eating to the point of discomfort for the first like long time, you're not doing it right. Interesting. Because, because if you're, you're like my metabolism is so incredibly fast. I've gotten to the point now with food where I have my meals and my regimen down so well that mm -hmm. if I miss a meal or if say I change something like if my body is used to quinoa and I have white rice instead, so I'm going from a brown carb to a white carb, mm -hmm. I notice the difference in my workout. Hmm. So I'm very in tune now with, with how food affects my body. And I can, I can tell you, even now where I'm at, 170 pounds, I know that the only way that I'm going to get above 170 is if I eat even more. So if you're starting out, your stomach's going to be tiny. You're not going to be used to eating that much food and you have to train your stomach to be able to take in that, that much. Yeah. And the best way to do that is to make, is to divide it. Well, for me, it was to divide it into smaller meals and then space it out throughout the day. Mm -hmm. But yeah, man, it is an uphill battle. So how much would you say you're eating now? I eat six meals a day right now. So, and I keep my protein probably around a hundred and, 50 to 160 grams and my but my carbs are really high because i found for me that like some some people work better with uh slightly lower carbs but like super high protein mm -hmm. and for me my body is so dependent upon carbs especially for my workouts and the, my energy and everything so i try and keep my carbs like as high as as high as possible the thing is and here's a perfect example of like then different types of ectomorphs, right? So yeah. I have a friend who's he's only like a year younger than me, and he's also an ectomorph, and he is not allergic to gluten, right? So he can eat dirty. He can sure. eat pop tarts, and he can go out and have burgers and like whatever he wants, right? He can put on size ten times faster than I can, hmm. like without a doubt. And so I know for me that that's kind of that's like my own just, I was born with that and I can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. But the positive is that because I eat so clean, I'm really like, I'm lean all year round. Yeah, There is no such thing as, as bulking dirty and then cutting fat. I mean, if I just deplete my water for an afternoon, I look like how someone else might look after two, three, four weeks of dieting. Yeah, And that's because I, I really only eat like, rice or quinoa and vegetables and chicken or beef or steak you know yeah i didn't hear sugar in there uh i mean i won't lie i'm a fiend for peanut butter yeah but um <laughs> but there's really not too much sugar i i'll do i'll do fruit i'll do like smoothies here and there but uh -huh. i mean it's it's pretty and then for breakfast like oatmeal and eggs it's yeah it's really clean yeah that's great so when you're bulking in your own way does that mean that you're bumping up calories significantly? Are you eating a lot more when you're trying to put on muscle as opposed to just maintaining your size? Yeah. Like right now, because of just my schedule, like you have to be realistic with it. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I've got my own projects that I'm working on and I work full time and bodybuilding. There are times in the year when you can go, okay, I can, I can really devote a lot of time to the gym. And then there are other times where you're like, okay, I don't want to stop going to the gym, so I'm just going to stay. I'm going to maintain for right now. But the problem with being gluten-free is that even in times when I go, okay, I've got three months to just do nothing but focus on the gym, mm -hmm. it's so hard to bump up your calories because gluten-free is inherently like a clean diet. Yeah. Especially if you do – if and I do lactose too. I'm, I'm, I don't do lactose. I don't do gluten. So – I, I can't do the Greek yogurt thing, yeah. which helps a lot of people when, with putting on size. Mm -hmm. And and the gluten-free products, like 
I, I'm not sure how you say it, but Udi's, UDI, uh-huh. they, they're like a big gluten-free uh, company and they make some great stuff. But the thing is, them and every other gluten-free brand is extremely expensive. Yeah. So if you're on like a, you know, a tight budget and, and you're already spending so much on food for bodybuilding and you've got your gym membership and when I can afford it, I like to get a protein powder or amino acids or something. But buying gluten-free on top of that just to get a little extra calories, that's really hard. And so for me, it's more just, okay, I'm just going to eat two more PB&Js a day mm-hmm. or uh, have one more uh, brown rice, chicken and avocado meal. Or, you know what I mean? You can yeah. really only like do so much with it. Yeah, that's so cool. And I, I uh, haven't talked about this that much, but one of the ways that I learned how to lose fat was by looking at, at this, looking at the opposite. So for you, it's really, really hard to put on fat, to put on muscle, to put on anything mm-hmm. because you can't eat wheat, because you don't eat sugar, because you're not using dairy. Those right. are the things like you take those out, you you reverse engineer that. And all of a sudden, how do you lose fat? You take those yeah. things out. Right. <laughs> so, and, and, and it's really interesting because a lot of people don't really um, connect those dots. You know, wheat is still thought to be in general parlance anyway, something right. that, you know, is good for your heart. It, it helps you lose weight uh, or it keeps you at a, at a healthy weight, uh, your blood pressure down, all that. But when you actually look at it, the people who know, the people who rely upon this stuff, uh, day after day, even like hourly, you guys who are obsessed right. with this stuff, you know quite well that this is how it works. You know, and, and one thing that I think is so interesting that I found when I started dabbling in the bodybuilding circles is that like this has been known and understood for a long time. The way mm-hmm. that you lose fat, the way that you put on muscle, which exercises are best in terms of you know up upregulating your growth hormone and, and, and that sort of thing. Why do you think that there's such a huge divide? between your community and bodybuilding and the rest of the developed world? It is habit of thought and nothing more. Hmm. I mean, I get, I get approached in the gym all the time with people saying, how do you look the way that you look? And I hold nothing. I mean, first of all, I really don't take supplements because I really can't afford it. Um, they are expensive and what I do with food already is – it's a lot. And so the first thing people say is what supplements are you on? Mm-hmm. And, and they're expecting, I mean, obviously the first thing they want to know is like, what is the pill or what is that magic thing that I can take that'll do all the work for me? And so if I am at the time taking like a protein powder, you know, like aminos or pre-workout or something, then I'll be like, okay, well, this is exactly what I'm taking. Like, mm-hmm. here are your answers. And then they go, well, what else are you doing? And I'm like, well, to be honest, it's really about the food. And I say that and the same people come up to me week after week after week being like, you know, man, like I was really good with my diet for like one or two days here. And then I like got that Briar's ice cream one night, but like I'm really getting back on it. And then the same thing with alcohol. I I tell people I don't drink. I I never drink. And then they come to me and they're like, oh, I got wasted on Sunday and I just had a really bad workout on Monday and I'm just really trying to drop this fat for, for summer, you know, and I'm like, well, maybe you should cut alcohol. And they're like, oh, well, yeah, I'll do that next week. And then they never do. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I mean, the divide is like, I mean, not to, I mean, every, make your own choices, right? Like mm-hmm. if that's, that's your life, like doesn't bother me, but bodybuilders are disciplined. Yeah. They're a disciplined group of people. And so if you come up to them and you're like, why do you look the way that you look? Aside from telling you whether or not they're juicing, they're, they're going to give you a good idea. Like, this is what I eat and this is, these are the supplements I take and here's a good protein powder for you. But a lot of people don't want to change that routine of theirs. A lot of people want their Dunkin' Donuts in the morning, you know? Yeah. And it's so interesting because that that bodybuilder in the gym talking to the meathead or whatever who's going out on Sundays getting wasted is giving right. him the secret, right? Yeah. Like, and, and it's not usually the, the supplement or or whatever. It's it's like your diet, right? It's your nutrition, and they yeah. tell you that. But the same people are kind of coming week after week, and they're just like, well, you know, I don't know. I, I worked out extra hard this week right. because I went out and got wasted on Sunday. Or, yeah. you know, because I, I, I binge and had a bunch of Briar's ice cream. But it's no big deal, you know, because I put in an extra two hours of cardio. And, you know, the experienced bodybuilders, the dedicated ones are just like, ugh. You know, and you can't stand that person, like, coming up to you day after day yeah. asking the same question because the answer remains the same. 
And it's really yeah. about building those systems into your own life. It's about building that discipline if that's the goal that you really want to pursue. So how did you decide that that was a goal that you wanted? To be honest, I've, I fell into it before I even knew it was a goal. Hmm. The, the biggest thing was that when I first started going to the gym, it was because those were the only friends that I had made. Yeah. I transferred schools and I got this gym membership and I kind of got like brought into this inner circle of bodybuilders and it's like all these like, I mean, we're talking like massive 220 pounds or more, like massive black bodybuilders. And here am I like this 150 pound skinny suburban white kid. And they're all like, what are you doing here? And the one guy who brought me in, name's Chris, you can follow him in on Instagram, at C3Muscle, by nice. the way. <laughs> uh, he brought me in and he told all of them. He walked around with all of them. He, he stood his ground and he was like, just watch. Just watch this kid. Just give him a little bit of time and just watch. And so I got like ushered into this like inner circle of bodybuilders at my gym. And I wasn't making friends in my school because I had gone to an art school for writing. So the program was great, but I really struggled to connect with the people because I was very athletic and I was very competitive and I was done with the whole, let's go out and get drunk and let's go smoke. I wanted something else, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I really just started going to the gym for the group of friends and for, for it being fun. And then before I knew it, I was in way too deep and I was lifting the hundred pound dumbbells and I was like a part of the community. And by that point I was too far gone. I loved it and it became a part of who I am. You just answered. <laughs> that's, that's the answer right there. It became a part of who you are. I love that. Yeah. It, and it, Cause for you, it's, it's about the process. It's not about that goal. And I think when a lot of people see that, when they see that you are their goal, they assume that that's why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's really, it doesn't have much to do with that at all. I think that's no. so cool. And I will, I will say the times when I've seen the most growth in my own body is when I looked in the mirror and I was completely forgiving with wherever I was in my process. Hmm. Whether I felt small that day or whether I looked big, I accepted wherever I was and I said, today is going to be a great lift and I'm going to make it the best that I can. The times when I saw the least amount of growth and I felt the worst about myself in the gym is when I failed to keep that perspective and I looked in the mirror and I said, I'm still not there yet. Yeah. Because that's when I made it about the body and instead of the process. And there are times that you still fall into that. You know, you're like, oh, like I fell off with my food. I looked a little smaller. But if you don't lift today, if you don't get your meals in today, you're just going to be small again tomorrow. Yeah. You know, so you just you have to keep that perspective and be patient with yourself in the process because it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Cole, we're, we're just about out of time. I can't believe it. This has been a great show. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. But before we go, why don't you tell folks where they can find you and what you're working on? Sure. So uh, right now you can follow me on Instagram at NicholasCole77. That's N-I-C-O-L-A-S-C-O-L-E 77. Um, I've also put up a Facebook page and YouTube page. Um, everything's under NicholasCole77 where I'll be posting uh, new content really uh, talking about a lot of the things that we've talked about here and hoping to share the same sort of knowledge and get people talking about all of these topics, really. And then in addition to that, uh, I've been working on a book for the past two years called Confessions of a Teenage Gamer, detailing my early years of diving into World of Warcraft and being that, that 90, 100-pound kid and the effect that that had on me and then kind of seeing that transition into really the person that I am now. So come and support uh, the pages and help me spread the word out there so then uh, a publisher will be kind enough to share my story. I love it. I love it. Well, Cole, thank you so much for coming on. I'd love to uh, have you on again to see how you're doing in a few months or, or years even. Maybe you'll be Absolutely. up to 250 pounds by then. <laughs> True monster. But uh, sincerely, thank you so much for coming on and, uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you so much for listening to the Fat Burning Man Show. If you'd like free fat burning tips, muscle building goodies, as well as a free ebook and video course, head on over to fatburningman.com and enter your best email 
and I'll shoot those right over to you. If you'd like to follow me on Facebook, I'm at facebook.com forward slash fatburningman. And on Twitter, my handle is fatburnman. Got some killer shows on the way, but in the meantime, be well, and I'll be talking to you guys soon. Cheers. Cheers.